Colossians. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be in 1, a little bit of 2 and 3, as we are in part 2 of a sermon series for the flourishing of the household of God. Here we are, a King's Chapel, a fairly new church plant, uh, not even two years old, and we want to make sure that as we long to grow, as we long to flourish, we want to flourish according to God's Word. And here in God's great wisdom, he gave a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. And it's really a manual for our, the household of God, for the church of the living God, how we are to behave, how we are to act, how we are to be the church. And this is so important for us today. Uh, it was really a lot of confusion. Is it wasn't mean for us to be the church? What does it mean for us to be followers of God? Uh, what is truth? And so by God's amazing grace, he's given us this letter. May we dig in deeply, King's Chapel. May we embrace this word and may we long to, to live it out. Why? We're in a battle. You know, we clearly are in a battle. If you see it or if you don't see it, there is a battle that rages around us. There's a battle among us many times. There's a battle within us. And what is raging around us now is a battle for truth. What is truth? I love uh, the fact that Scripture records to us in that kangaroo court when Jesus uh, was stood before Pontius Pilate, uh, that, that most innocent man ever was going to be declared guilty and crucified. Uh, Pontius Pilate asked the question to Jesus, what is truth? I mean, that seems to be a question that our, our world is wrestling. What is truth? And that we see through Scripture that Jesus claimed that he is the truth, that he is truth incarnate. God's Word would tell us that Jesus has the words that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We are told in Scripture that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and that this is God's Word. God's word that is truth uh, given to us, that is God-breathed. That if Pontius Pilate was asking the question that many are asking, what is truth? We see it personified in the person of Christ Jesus. We live in a time, uh, we probably don't even know a time that wasn't this way, that we are told that truth is relative, that truth is not absolute. Uh, truth is uh, uh, something that is uh, malleable, something that can change. Uh, it bends to meet our own personal needs, our own convictions, our own conditions or needs. We live in a time that says, if that is true for you, good for you. But don't bring that truth over here. May your truth be your truth and my truth be my truth. And we have this war that is raging, what is truth? But church, for us, we aren't the ones who that uh, are the discover truth. We are the ones who've embraced truth in Christ Jesus. We're the ones who say he and he alone is the way. He and he alone is the truth. He and he alone is the life. And this is what's going to lead us to truth. And we put a flag in the sand. And as Matt, no matter how much our culture rages against us, and no matter how much we are going to see as being backwater or backwoods or, or behind the times for Christians, we got to believe that this is the truth and fight this battle. What do we need? We need a firm foundation. We need God's truth to be our foundation. It can't be Jeff's opinion. 
That can't be the opinion of, of our culture. We got to know the one who is truth personified. What is the truth? And that truth will set us free. We need sound doctrine. So when we think about the church of God, the household of God flourishing, what should be at the base of that flourishing, what needs to be something we build on is got to be what's called sound doctrine. This morning in this letter, Paul is going to compare sound doctrine to strange doctrine. He's going to compare biblical truth to world's uh, expectations of what they say are truth. But we got to make sure, no matter where we are, what we do, King's Chapel, that we build upon sound doctrine. So a couple things as we begin. Sound doctrine for the church to be properly run. Remember, this in many ways is a manual. All God's word is a, is a manual uh, for us to know him and to live. But interestingly, 1 Timothy uniquely is a letter given for the church and for our flourishing. So we need to have sound doctrine for the church to be properly run. And we also need sound doctrine for the world to be thoroughly won. Now, God has given us a mission. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're an ambassador. If you are his, uh, he wants to use you to change the world and for the world to come to the knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we got to make sure we have sound doctrine to help the properly running of the church and also for the world to be thoroughly run. This morning we're going to look at strange doctrine versus sound doctrine. And it's, 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 uh, it's both encouraging and discouraging to me that Paul is writing this church, this, this, this letter to... Uh, to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. And now this is a place that Paul spent a few years himself. And even as he spent a few years teaching, you had the Apostle Paul in the church of Ephesus, and yet within a few short years, they already were starting to make a mess of things. In a few uh, short years, there was already some heresy creeping in, some bad teaching, and they had to wrestle with truth, just like we have to wrestle with truth as well. You know, but even before I begin, I just want you to know what overarchingly uh, brings me amazing peace and grace and comfort is that it's not up to me to hold on to the truth. It's important that we seek the truth, but ultimately God's truth will win. And if it was only up to the church, we'd all be in trouble, right? I, I read this stuff, I'm like, God, I'm a knucklehead, and, I, and, I, and I'm so prone to wander, and the church is so prone to wander. Would you, by your grace... Hold us. Hold us on this firm foundation of truth. Teach us again from your word. So this morning we're going to look at 1 Timothy verses 1. I'm going to pick up again, although the, the, the crux of this is 3 through 11, I'm going to pick up verses 1, 1 through 11. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and then we'll turn to chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But no matter where we are in God's word, this is God's holy and errant word. It'll never lead us astray. Hear the word of the Lord. 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from the God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. 
The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which, which I have been entrusted. I want to pick up verse uh, 3 in chapter 2. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in, in uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word, for the truth. We thank you that Jesus is the truth incarnate, the way, the truth, and the life. God, we thank you that your word will give us sound doctrines and tell us how we are to, to, to run the church and how the world is to be one for your glory. So, oh God, I pray that this is because this is so important and we're going to talk about what is sound doctrine. I pray, God, that you would come and that you would speak through a broken sinner like me. That, God, you would give us ears to hear your voice. That you would give us minds to understand your word. This letter that was written so long ago from the Apostle Paul to Timothy in the church at Ephesus. God, may your Holy Spirit illuminate this word so that it's our word. It's a word for us today. That, God, may our minds understand it. May our hearts embrace your truth. May our hearts embrace sound doctrine. And God, may our feet walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But God, the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to bring your name glory? And for us and for the edification of ourselves and our neighbors, we pray in Christ's matchless name. Amen. First thing we see is, again, that sound doctrine for the church uh, to be properly run. This is why Paul has written this. He's saying, hey, Paul, or Timothy, I'm writing this letter to you. I'm writing it to basically the household of God, the church of the living God, so that you'll know how to behave, so you'll know what it likes to be the church. That is why he is writing this to us, so that we know what does it mean for us to be the church. How are we to function as a church for the glory of God? of God. That sound doctrine, may King's Chapel always be a place that looks to God's word, looks to sound doctrine, not our opinions, not what's happening with culture. What is God telling us? How are we to behave? How do we live as the church? And this is so important. 
Because in God's amazing design, it's through us, the church, that he wants the world to know who he is. It's through us, the church, that he wants to shine. And in a world that has gone upside down crazy, in a world that doesn't know what truth is, in a world that says truth is just true for you and it's not true for me, we as the church, it's critical that we stand on truth, that we, we stand and we, we embrace God's word, that we live out God's word so the world can see the truth. And the beautiful thing of this is God's truth sets us free. The world thinks that God's truth is going to lead us to bondage. The world thinks that God's truth is going to take away freedom from us. It's going to, it's going to enslave us. But the opposite is true. You want to know how to live? You want to know how to love? You, we find it in a relationship with Christ Jesus. God's truth will not enslave us. God's truth will set us free. And we have to be a church that looks to God's word. So, okay, what is sound theology? What is sound doctrine? May we stand there. Sound doctrine is also needed for the world to be thoroughly one. Okay, so think of the church this way. There's an importance to keep us pure, right? There's an importance for us to act properly. But we have a mission. We aren't here just as a holy huddle. We are here for him. We are here for the world. We are here for our neighbors. We're here to love them, to support them, to care for them. Uh, we are here so that, why? That everyone may come to know that Jesus is the Lord and Savior he claimed to be. I love what 1 Timothy 2 is going to say. Is it's God's will that, that the world is one. It's God's will that they all know. And you get to the end of the story, the Bible, and you know what it says? By the way, all lives are going to matter because Every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group, they're all going to be there. That God has set a beautiful love on all of his children. And, and we as a church, we have a mission. And so remember, this is so important because it has two sides to it. The church has got to have sound theology so we know how to behave as the church, right? We know what to do. But it's also we need to have sound theology so we're not getting caught up in some endless debates. We're not doing the wrong thing. So we're on mission, what, what the enemy would love for us to do is to be so inwardly focused that we forget the world, that we, that we get so wrapped up in our own like mindless debates that we aren't engaging with culture. So this is important so that we can run the church properly for the glory of God according to his rule and that we can be on mission for him. Does that make sense? So, so what he's going to say now is, hey, there's some strange doctrine that's come in, and this is what's happening. He's going to compare sound teaching and doctrine to strange teaching and doctrine. Now, the strange teaching and doctrine come from two things. Guess what? You have bad teachers who produce bad teaching, right? Bad teaching and bad teachers. They go hand in hand. Do they not? They always will. So the first thing we see is bad teaching. And we see that, that, that Paul is going to say that some people have come in. There's some certain people have come in, and they got this teaching, and he talks about two things that they're doing. They, they are, they're, they're really teaching these myths, um, probably about false gods. Remember in Ephesus, uh, this was the goddess Diana, the, uh, was, was so popular there, and Christianity was making such an amazing impact that the book of Acts tells us that there was literally a riot in Ephesus, because people said, wait a minute, you know, Christianity is, is making all these silversmiths. They're not making any more idols to, to, to this Diana. I mean, this is affecting business. This is now affecting our, our pocketbook. These Christians are, are making such an impact. And, and they're like, well, wait a minute. Our town's known for this goddess, Diana. Literally a riot. 
starts because of that. So some of the myths that they might be dealing with, um, they're probably some Gnostic views of some special knowledge. But these myths, these are teachings from outside of Christianity. These are outside the church. And all they do is uh, promote uh, speculations rather than faith. So let's put that in our context. Our myths are way more complicated or way more refined than, than theirs, right? Um, we live in a time with different kinds of myths. They're much more sophisticated, much more liberated. But anything apart from the biblical understanding of who God is, what truth is, what redemption and salvation is a myth. Now, hit pause. Now listen, we never have to be worried about faith and science. All truth is God's truth, okay? And he doesn't tell us absolutely everything in his word, but his word is true. But there's not going to be anything in science, and there's not going to be anything in the world that's going to make us think, uh-oh, this is going to undo God. We're, we believe that all truth came from the one who is truth. We don't have to fear science. We don't have to try to, we don't have to not be intellectual. We should be as intellectual as absolutely we can be. We, we should be examining truth. We should be exploring all of God's amazing creation, but always under the authority that God is true, and his word will never lead us astray. Remember, it's a story that points us to him, right? So our myths, our myths of, of, of how to live, are the, I'll, I'll give you a myth, a myth that you can be your own God, a myth that you could find happiness apart from God, a myth that, that, that you weren't created to have a relationship with brothers and sisters of Christ, the myth that, that you can grab the world by the tail and you can make enough money, inherit enough money, save enough money that someday you will be happy. That you could find happiness in the creation, not the creator. It's a myth. And he said, now listen, they got involved with some myths and it ends in some speculation. But they also got involved in endless genealogies. And to me, myths were outside the church, those worldviews out there, and endless genealogies were things in the church. These were from the Jewish tradition. They were, they were going back and kind of rewriting biblical history. There's a, call, a book called the Book of Jubilees. And, and it was kind of, they were trying to search like, what genealogy did I come from? And what tribe? And what blessings? And, and they spent a lot of time in needless stuff. And what did it do? It promoted vain discussions rather than gospel growth. I mean, they, they got interested in, in the minors instead of the majors. And oftentimes, the church engages in endless discussions about things that aren't the main things. Let me point out a few of them. End times. End times. The church can spend a lot of times trying to figure out the times, interpret the times, and, and to know what, what is happening next. Uh, spend a lot of times trying to figure out what everything means. I mean, there's been a book called The Bible Code that wants to say that the Bible tells us that John F. Kennedy would be assassinated. The Bible tells us about the Soviet Union's rise to power and Sputnik. I'm telling you, that is reading into things that aren't there. That is endless genealogies. The God, God's Word tells us, reveals who God is, who we are, who Jesus is, and how we are to live. I mean, so when we try to make this something of a da Vinci code, when we try to make this something into what it's not, we get in trouble, right? And so here's what we know, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Here's what we know. He is Lord and Savior. Here's what we know. 
that he is coming again. Here's what we know. We will have a bodily resurrection in Christ Jesus. Here's what we know. Those who have passed right before us, that our loved ones who have gone to heaven, their spirits are in heaven with the Lord. Their bodies will be united uh, when he comes again. We know some certain things about the end times, but we don't know all things. And we've got to be careful that we spend all of our time trying to study that. That's, that's our endless genealogies, right? That gets us off the main point. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We live for him as king. We serve him on mission. That's our main point. We've got to be careful. And we've got we to be careful of doctrinal distinctives as well. I love theology. If you know me, I love theology. I'm Reformed. Because why? It's biblical. <laughs> um, uh, but I want you to know, the goal isn't to try to find somebody within the church who disagrees with you and have an argument with them. The goal is to live for the glory of our great God and to convince others. We've got to have sound theology. We've got to know what the Bible teaches us. We've got to do that unapologetically. But if all we preach are doctrinal distinctives, we've missed the main point. So they had myths, and they had endless genealogies. Uh, they had some bad teachings. But they also had some bad teachers. Isn't it amazing? So it says in verse 3, certain teachers are teaching a strange doctrine. doesn't name them right away. Some Certain people. But what I love about this, I want to show you this. This is amazing. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, Paul is going to talk about the church in Ephesus. Now, this is before what was, what was written in 1 Timothy. And he's going to write to the elders in Ephesus. And I want you to hear these words in Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read 28 through 31. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's talking to the elders in Ephesus. And he's telling them, Hey, I want you to pay careful attention to yourself because God has made you overseers of the church which he has obtained with his own blood. And he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. Amazingly, Paul's saying, I was there for three years. I taught you for three years. And by the way, here's what's going to happen. Wolves are coming in. And the worst kind of wolves. Your elders. Some of your leaders. Some of those you put trust in. Some that should be leading you. Got to be careful, even from the inside. Wolves from within uh, are going to come and attack. And then he's going to have those with shipwreck face, uh, with faith. Uh, in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it's going to name names. Uh, how would you pronounce that guy's name? Hymenaeus and Alexander. Alexander I got. Hymenaeus is a little bit of a hard one. It's going to call them, they, they shipwrecked their faith. It's going to talk about these certain people that came in. You know what? They, they were known. They were leaders. And this is a letter. He's going to call out names and say, these, these people you know. They stood before you, but they, they left sound doctrine. They got into all this crazy myths and this endless genealogy. They, they didn't talk about being saved by God's grace through faith alone. They started majoring on the minors, and they shipwrecked their faith. Uh, it says that they are arrogant and ignorant. Uh, it says, by the way, they wanted to be teachers of the law. 
They wanted to be teachers, but it says they did without knowledge. They didn't know what they were talking about. These certain assertions, they didn't know. So you have er the worst thing you could ever have is an arrogant, ignorant teacher. Is it not true? I mean, that's like a horrible combination. Someone who is arrogant and ignorant. May you always look for those who will lead you in God's word that are humbled by God's word, that are in submission to God's word, and that dig deeply to try to understand God's word. These were without understanding. There are a lot of bad teachers today. I mean, they were filled with churches. The church is filled with them. Now, again, God, God used a donkey in the Old Testament to do his work. God can use whatever he chooses to use. And we got to be careful that we don't want to sit as those who really know the truth and sling mud and stones at those who don't. But I got to tell you, as a, as a preacher, the, the things that I look at that, that has captivated the American church is a prosperity gospel. And oftentimes, the preachers that fill up the biggest places, that have the biggest followings, that are those who will take God's word and twist it and say that God's will for you is to be healthy, wealthy, and wise right now. God's will for you is your best life now. God's will for you is if you do the right thing, if you pay enough, if you tithe enough, if you do enough good things, God's going to reward you with the things of this world. That is not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who says anyone desires to live a godly life, guess what? You're going to be persecuted. You know, you, you, want, you want to live for Jesus? It's going to be lonely. If it was lonely for him, it's going to be lonely for us. Uh, there's, there's a Netflix special, I, I'm sure it's still out there, called The American Gospel. It's fantastic. It's, 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 it's riveting and sad. And it'll show you how this American dream collided with the gospel. We came out with this prosperity gospel that is nonsense. And let me just tell you, sound doctrine will tell us the truth, that following after Christ Jesus is going to cost us something. It may be a reputation. And God promises the best life when we see him face to face. That's the best life. It's still to come. And we're going to wrestle. And so we, we have some bad teachers today in our midst. And, and, and be careful. And uh, again, not that I know them all, but you know, some, sometimes ask, hey, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy? There's some great ones. I'm telling you, people who know a lot smarter than me. Um, but we got to be careful because wolves have infiltrated the church. And we got to make sure that we have sound doctrine. So what is sound doctrine? Uh, it is accordance with the gospel. It's in verse 11. In accordance with the gospel. Sound doctrine is this. It's good news. God, sound doctrine, I can, let me put a little bow on it, is the good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Sound doctrine is God saving sinners like us by his grace through faith alone. He's saying, now here's the problem. All these teachers are getting away from faith. They're getting away from sound doctrine that we are saved by God's grace through faith. It's something's getting in the way. The good news of the gospel has got to be kept the good news that we are saved by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. That has got to be the gospel in accordance with the gospel. And in the gospel, it's incredible. It says the righteousness of God is revealed to those who believe. Now, I just said a lot of religious words, but you've got to understand them. The gospel tells us this. That our standing before a holy God is not because of our righteousness. It's not because we become good enough or righteous enough that God accepts us. 
The gospel says there's another way. The revealing of the righteousness of God comes through the gospel. That God's righteousness is given to us as a gift. It's the righteousness that Jesus has earned through his perfect life. It's that righteousness that God gives us as a gift. There was an exchange on the cross that took place. Jesus became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That is the gospel, that we are made righteous in Christ Jesus alone. Now, again, if this is true, God's love for us isn't contingent upon what we do. God's love for us is secured because of what Christ has done. Our righteousness in Christ Jesus is perfect in Christ. Yes, we are being sanctified. Yes, we are being made holy. But the truth is we are robed today in eternity as children of God in the righteousness of Christ. That is good news. That is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For God took him who knew no sin. Who's the one who knows no sin? To become sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the gospel. That is, that is the good news. So sound doctrine is according to the gospel. It uses the law lawfully. This is a wonderful. Again, the Greek is a little bit even more beautiful the way it says. But it says, listen, sound doctrine, it does have the law of God. There's, there's the law of God here. It's important for us. But we got to use the law lawfully. Now, it's interesting what Paul says. Did you read it? Did you follow along? It's really interesting. He says that the law was laid down for not the just, it's not for the believer, ultimately the law was given, but it was for the lawless and the disobedient. Huh. God gave us a law, primary function of the law was for the lawless and the disobedient. So what does it mean to use the law lawfully? Well, theologians have wrestled with what is the lawful use of the law. I'm going to give you three. The one is this, the spiritual use of the law, the law of God. I love the way Martin Luther talked about the spiritual use of the law. He says it's like a hammer. The spiritual use of the law is like a hammer. You read God's law and what he requires of us, and it should hammer apart your self-righteousness. It should hammer apart any hope that you have to be holy in God's sight on your own. You should look at God's word and say, oh man, I'm a wreck. Oh man, I'm a woe for me. It should be, when it's used spiritually, it's a tutor, it leads us to Christ. You see what it does? It hammers away that we're not good enough and it points us to a savior. And this is what Jesus did. You know the story of the rich young ruler that runs up to Jesus and he falls down at his knees. Think about that. Rich, young, and, and a ruler, and he's going to humble himself to the point of getting on his knees before Jesus. And he's going to ask a really interesting question. He's going to say, good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Right there in the question, a lot of problems. Good teacher? Does he know that he's talking to the God of the world? Does he know Messiah, Lord, Savior, Jesus? Good teacher? Is he simply a rabbi? And, and he's going to say, what do I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus, masterful, says, hey, by the way, why do you call me good teacher? There's only one good, and that's God. Hey, do you know who you're talking to? Missed it. And then he says, by the way, how do you inherit eternal life? He's like, man, this guy's got it completely wrong. Well, the commandments. You know, have you kept the commandments? Why did Jesus, who saves us by God's grace through faith alone, point this guy on his knees to the commandments? It was for the spiritual use of the law. For him to be able to say, I've 
kept none of them. Have mercy on me. But what does the rich young ruler say? Which ones do I got to keep? I've kept those since I'm young. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't need a savior. Jesus pointed him to the law for it to be a hammer for him to say mercy, and he misses it. The civil use of the law is to restrain evil in the world. God gave us this. It's incredible. I mean, it's an incredible. It's so true how we are to live. Uh, it restrains evil in the world. Think of this. Why do we have speed limit signs for speeders? Speed limit signs are not needed for those of you who don't drive like me, right? Speed limit signs are for those who are speeders. Why do we have fences for trespassers, right? I mean, it's, it's there for those who break the law. For those of you who have no problem on I-4, keeping within those requirements, have no problem going down uh, main streets and staying right, if you don't need the speed limit, you can do it. But for those of us, it's a civil use of that. And then sanctifying use of the law is for the Christian and the church how to act. It teaches us how to act. Sound doctrine for the church to be properly run. Sound doctrine for the world to be thoroughly run. So what is the aim of this? And I, and I, I, I want to give you this concluding thought. The aim of this, the aim of sound doctrine is always love. Isn't that great? Isn't it great to hear the fact that God's getting wants us, he wants you to have sound doctrine. By the way, he wants you to you love. So you love him and love others. Listen to Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Did you hear that? The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You know what the law of God and sound doctrine should make us do? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. With a pure heart. Pure heart. Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. None of us are pure in heart, but in Christ Jesus we are forgiven and free. With a clear conscience, sound doctrine does not bind us. It leads us to a clear conscience, because why? Romans 8, 1. Therefore, Anyone who is in Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Are you in Christ Jesus? You're forgiven. You're free. That's a clear conscience. Are you a knucklehead? Yes. Have you messed up? Are you wandering? Uh-huh. Me too. But in Christ Jesus, we're forgiven and free. A sincere faith. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And what is the goal of sound doctrine? It's for the glory of our great God. In accordance with the gospel, the glory and the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. For the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor, may King's Chapel always stand on sound doctrine. Stand on God's word. Why? For the church to be properly run and for the world to be thoroughly won. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes your word come alive to us. We thank you for your grace that, that strengthens us, God. We thank you for your sacraments that, sac that strengthen us. God, we, we're just so grateful that, that we 
your people have been given your word to be able to stand on sound doctrine. God, I thank you that we don't have to be inventors of truth, that you have revealed it to us through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. God, may King's Chapel always be a place that stands upon your truth and sound doctrine. May we not wander away like many have into myths, into endless genealogies. May we keep the main thing the main thing. And may we live for your glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.